A few years ago, a friend of mine calls me. We were supposed to meet for dinner after work. And he says, man, I'm going to have to back out at dinner. I said, well, why? What's going on? He said, I've got to get home. I, why? Well, my little girl's goldfish died. And I've got to go home and do a funeral for a goldfish. You don't happen to have a few words to say over a goldfish, do you? You've been there, haven't you? Where uh, a prized pet, a cherished pet of your child uh, or of a neighbor's child dies and, and you are called upon to explain the great mysteries of life to a four-year-old, to a five-year-old. Why do things die? And then that, of course, leads to the discussion of will you die? Will I die? And what happens when we die? You can't explain that to adults, hardly, much less a child. But those are still the questions that haunt us. What happens when we die? What do we do when somebody dies? How do we handle that grief when we know that this part of our life is over? Abraham taught us a lot. And one of the things that he taught us was how to grieve. It's in the 23rd chapter of the book of Genesis. Now, we, I know how we usually do this. We usually stand now and I read a portion of Scripture, but we're going to preach through this whole Scripture old style. Okay? I'm going to read a verse, then I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to read another verse, and I'm going to talk about it. Uh, so, open your Bible. Uh, don't be surprised that I preach from the Bible. I do it most every Sunday. You should bring your Bible, and that way you can follow along with me. Uh, this is the 23rd chapter. Now, Sarah lived 127 years. And these were all the years of her life. Sarah died in Kiriath Abar, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn Sarah and weep for her. Then Abraham got up from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hethites. I'm an alien residing among you. Give me burial property among you so I can bury my dead. Sarah lived 127 years. Beautiful Sarah. And she must have been a striking woman because every king that Abraham ran into wanted to kidnap Sarah and bring Sarah home as his wife we know of at least two times that Abraham got into serious trouble because he told two kings, not one, two kings, that Sarah was his sister, not his wife. You would have think the first time would have been traumatic enough, and you would have thought that Sarah would have never let Abraham forget how stupid that decision was. But Abraham did it twice. Abraham, the co-heir with the pro uh, Sarah, was the co-heir with Abraham's promise. It was Abraham and Sarah who left their families. It was Abraham and Sarah who journeyed through the wilderness. It was Abraham and Sarah who came to the beautiful promised land. It was Abraham and Sarah who welcomed Isaac, the child of the promise. It was Sarah who had believed every bit 
as much as Abraham. And then she died. A hundred and twenty-seven years old. But she died. And with her death, a lot of things changed. Abraham, according to the custom of his day, had other wives, he had other concubines, he had other women in his life, but there would be no one who replaced Sarah. And so what does Abraham do? He grieves. He sits down and he cries. This great champion of faith, the one who Hebrews celebrates as one of the pioneers of what it means to believe in God. He trusted God, and that trust, that faith was counted to, to Abraham as righteousness. He's one of our heroes, and yet here he is at the funeral of his wife, sitting down and crying. So what happens? When you lose. What happens when grief comes? Now it doesn't have to be a major event like death. There are all kinds of grief. Uh, some of you moved here from another place and when you left home to come to Nashville, when you uh, left the community you were in, there was a grief in leaving those friends. You graduate high school. You're moving on to college. Yes, you're excited about what the future holds, but there is a grief. There is a sadness. We live in a culture that doesn't want you ever to be sad. We live in a culture that will give you some kind of pill so that you're not ever sad. You don't ever have to. The problem is you don't ever let the sadness do its work. You try to cheat it. And then there are the times when death comes. And it changes everything. There is no indication in the Bible that we were ever created to live forever. Did you know that? What we believe in, what we long for, what Jesus' life teaches us is resurrection. And that's way different than the immortality of the soul. The immortality of the soul is a pagan teaching that says you have a soul that was living before you were born, and when you were born, the soul was united to your body, and when your body dies, your soul will be again released. That's immortality of the soul. That is not a Christian teaching. We believe things die. We believe we were born and there's a time to die. One of the reasons that we are given the time to die is so that we treat time for the precious gift that it is. My dad had his first heart attack in 1988. 
The thing of almost dying scared my dad into some major life decisions. He had spent all of his life working, and he walked out of that hospital and said to me, son, I'm not dying with all my money in the bank. So he bought a lake house. He bought boats for that lake house. My dad enjoyed it. I'm not dying. I kept telling him, Dad, you're spending all my inheritance. Will you, let, will you ease up? My dad, who was always watching television, suddenly demanded we turn the television off so we could talk, so we could pay attention, so we could stay at the kitchen table and share stories one more time because he realized how precious time is. Death limits time. You don't have as much of it as you think you do, and a lot of it are wasting it on things that do not matter. How many likes we have on Facebook will not be one of the things that we talk about at your funeral. So because time is precious, do those things that matter and matter forever. And when death comes, grieve. Give yourself permission to sit down and cry. Now, the world treats families who are dealing with death in an awful way. As soon as a person dies, you've got to start filling out forms. You've got to get all of this information. And all the insurance companies, everybody wants something from you. And you will run yourself ragged. And you'll run yourself even more ragged if you don't push back and find a quiet time to weep over what you've lost. Amen. Now, when my dad died, my attention turned to taking care of my mom. I didn't have time to say goodbye to my dad. One day I went home to check on the house. I went by myself. I walked into that house by myself. I could still smell my father. And I felt like somebody hit me in the stomach with a two-by-four. I doubled over. I started crying. And I couldn't stop. It was the first time that I had had time to grieve. So in the middle of it, I'm praying, teach me, Lord, what I need to know. What lesson is in this? And the word, and the Lord, Lord's word came to me. There's no lesson, Mike. Just grieve. Just grieve. I was a nine-year-old little boy who had lost his dad. What does grief do? It lets you sort through some things. And one of the things you do is you sort through some things and you hold on to some things that I don't want to let go of. There are stories about my dad. There are things he taught me. There are things he accomplished that I won't let it go of. Grief makes me hold on to those. 
give yourself time to grieve. And here's the bad news. Your grief will be as deep as the love was high. So give yourself time. Now everybody will tell you, hey, you need to be strong. You need to get over this. Everybody, everybody tell you that? You need to be strong. You know why they're telling you that? They want you to get your act together so they don't have to be there and be your friend. They want you to get together so they don't have to be your friend. No, you don't have to be strong. It's okay. You can, grieve. You can fall apart. We will give you permission to do that. Second thing. You read the rest of the story, and he is making plans for where he buries Sarah. And it is a hilarious story. Abraham asked, this is the land I want to buy, to bury my wife. The man who owns the property says, Brother Abraham, your kinfolk, your family, we wouldn't dare charge you for that land. Abraham replies, no, I insist. I would like to buy the land when I want to bury my, father, well, bury my wife. And the man says, Brother Abraham, that land is worth 450 shekels. But what's that among us? And so Abraham paid him 450 shekels. Bought the land. He made the plans to take care of Sarah. Make the plans to take care of your loved one. And if you're the loved one, if you love your family, make those plans now. Okay? Do not put that on your family. My dad's theory was he would take care of that when he got there. That was my dad's thing. Well, what about this? I'll handle that when I get there. But dad, when you die, you're not there to handle it. Leaving your family to deal with these decisions that they have to make. Plan your funeral service. Who will speak? What will they say? What songs will be sung? Who will sing? Where will it be? What suit will you wear? What dress will you wear? Do you have it paid for? Who do we contact? Do you have, we're having to do that when we're crying our eyes out. No, here's the plan. Here it is. Here's what I want. And bless you who do that. Some families have come into my office and said, here's what dad, here's what mom wanted. And sometimes there's been things on there that don't let the preacher go on and on. <laughs> You're going to die. Is that news to you? You're not going to live forever. Sooner or later, your heart will stop. You will fall over. The word will spread. Mike's died. We'll cry. We'll get together. We'll say a few words. And we'll go over to your house and eat everything in your refrigerator. Make plans. Put it down so your family doesn't have to worry about that. Abraham made plans. And what did Abraham do next? Chapter 24. He sends the servant to find Isaac's wife. Sarah's gone. The matriarch of the dream is gone. I need to find somebody that can help Isaac carry this dream on. 
And so he sends the servant to find Isaac. Sarah dies, he grieves. Sarah is dead, he takes care of Sarah. He honors the love of his life by the way he cares for her in her death. Then he moves to the future. You have a future. You know that? You carry on. He doesn't stay in his grief. He doesn't stay at the funeral service. He moves on to the future. He starts planning for Isaac's success, for the carrying on of the dream. And he finds the woman who will help Isaac carry that dream on. You have a future. Paul writes to the Thessalonians who were writing to him about some of the same questions we have. He writes and says, listen, you want to know about those who have already fallen asleep. And he talks about the second coming and the resurrection. But also in chapter 4, he says this, we grieve, but we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Now, I, I realize hope is one of those words that we have beat up in the English language. Uh, and, and in fact, when somebody says, hope so, you don't take that thing, you, you don't take it seriously. It, it, will the weather be pretty tomorrow? Hope so. Uh, is my favorite team going to win? Hope so. Hope so. It, it's one of those words that doesn't mean anything. Hope. Hope is the confidence that Jesus will keep his word. And his word is that nobody would take his followers out of his hands. Not evil, not Satan, not death. And that when you die, he calls you to be with him just as the father called him out of the tomb on the first Easter morning. I believe my mom and my dad are with Christ now. Now you're going, Mike, how could that be? We haven't had the second coming. We have God doesn't wear a watch. You know that? He's not hindered by time space. I tell you this all the time. He's in our past. And the reason that's important, because he can heal that moment where things went wrong and you were wounded and you, so you bleed into your present. He can heal that moment so you stop bleeding into your present. He's with us in our present. And he's already in our future. That's why we're so confident, because we believe the future's already done. So when you die, you are welcomed to Christ in the eternal now. The promises I hope for, the promises I read and cling to, my mom and dad already know. This is weird, but you think weird things during one of those times. One time I looked at Jeannie and I said, will I be able to find daddy? Well, why wouldn't you be? I said, here's why. For the last 30 years of my life, 
I have always found my dad by his white hair. You walk in anywhere, I could spot my dad. He had this, look like spun silver, his beautiful hair. Well, what is white hair? It's a sign of age, okay? It's a sign of the body weakening. If my daddy is whole, his hair is going to be black like he was when he was a young man. I'll never find him. Nine years old inside. The seasons of the soul. is that death comes. And when it does, we grieve. We take the time we need to cry. We sit down and we weep. Don't push it. Don't try to get past it because people tell you you should. Understand, this will take some time. Take care of what you need to take care of. Take care of your loved one. Take care of your family. Remind them that we do not grieve as people who have no hope. We are confident that we serve a Jesus who keeps promises, and Jesus has kept promises to those who die in him. Now, let's cut to the chase. When I was a little boy in church, we'd always have these traveling evangelists who would come into town every so often and hold you over hell like a marshmallow. And it was always the great story of the young man who didn't accept Christ in the revival service and walked down and was run over by a bus in the parking lot. And, and, and because of that, uh, spent eternity without Christ. So we left the church scared to death that just any minute we were going to be the, the, the victim of some bad luck. We started making fun of that because we were actually afraid of the truth that it hid. Nobody is promised tomorrow. Amen. There's no guarantee of next week. Amen. James says that when you tell somebody, I will do this next week or I will meet you next month, that is the height of arrogance. Because you are assuming time that God has not promised you. You do know you're going to die, right? You do you know you don't have forever. So are you ready when that time comes? Have you established your hope in Jesus Christ? 
Are you walking with him now so you'll know that he keeps promises, so you'll have the confidence that he will keep promises on the other side as well? It comes to us all. And when it does, we grieve. But we do not grieve as one who has no hope. We're confident that Jesus keeps his promises. Let's pray together. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I know this was not a particularly enjoyable sermon. But it's a truth that we all have to deal with. So if you're grieving right now, it's okay. Give yourself permission to let go. You don't have to be strong. That's why you have the church around you. Just grieve. Others of you, you know there's a few things you need to take care of. So write those things down. Take care of them. But for some of you, this is the time to claim the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. And for some of you, it may be the first time you have thought about what it will be like to face eternity without Christ. And you want to know more. That's why our ministers, our counselors are at a big table that says next steps. They're waiting for you right now to continue this conversation, to tell you more about who Jesus is, what he's done, and what he can do for you now. Don't leave this place with those questions still unanswered. He waits for you where you are. The church will wait for you as you come. Lord Jesus, every life is now open before you, every heart. So we pray the choices we make are exactly what you want.